this this is one of those things where it it reads so clearly when it's written but once yes. you actually try to read it out it's sort of awkward. you're like what are the noises coming out of my mouth <laughs> I'm Corbin here with Cody. Say hi, Cody. How's it going? Today, we're going to do the first of a series of episodes called The Road to OS X, where we're going to look at the very long-winded road Apple took to release Mac OS X, which was its modern operating system that was finally released in 2001. But the story goes all the way back to the 80s. <laughs> Almost every computer story somehow does. Yeah, this 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 took a very a very long time, and this period is is very well documented between books written by people who knew about what was going on inside of Apple and everything that Apple and, and the companies they were working with were announcing at the time. I believe most of the story. I'll have a link to all of the sources in the in the description for this podcast but a lot of it just came from like computer world articles so this is well documented but it, it, it doesn't seem to be talked about a lot i know it, i know why because it, in the end none of it mattered <laughs> uh like this this whole train of development ended two or three times before the the track that led to the final version of mac os x was established well but it's still interesting and again so much of computer history it it a ton of it really involves doing a ton of work and then at a certain point just saying it's time let's throw it all away and start fresh or or we'll find something that somebody else built and we'll build on top of it yeah Yes, starting over is the is the theme of, of Apple in the night. <laughs> it really is. We're 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 starting over. Oh no, we got to start over again. Start over again. Now we're good. This story starts actually with the release of the first Macintosh. Cody, how how familiar are you with the first Mac? I've I know I have seen them, and I'm pretty sure I used. I'm pretty sure. I used an original version or fairly original model when I was in school, but that's mm -hmm. about the most I can say with any moderate confidence. <laughs> okay. The original Mac was a big deal because it brought many newer features like a desktop interface and a mouse to a slightly lower price. It was still not cheap by any stretch of the imagination the price in 1984 was $2,495 and part of the reason it was so cheap was because it had a Motorola 6800 CPU I'm sorry 68,000 that was running at 6 megahertz oof it had a display with a resolution of 512 by 342 pixels it was entirely black and white, and there was no color, even though there were many microcomputers available at the time that could do color. Mm -hmm. And it only had 128 kilobytes of RAM. Oh, yeah, the good old days. 
with, with that hardware, it was sort of impressive they could get anything to happen at all. And part of the magic there was just how restricted the early Macintosh operating system was. So there was no multitasking at all. You, you know, you find the file on your computer, open it, and the application would take up the whole computer. Yep. It, it basically went to full screen, except, well, kind of except for the menu bar, which was just always there. Yeah. So there was no multitasking at all. Apple did get around this a little bit with these sort of micro applications like the calculator. I think there was a clock too, mm-hmm. where they could run at the same time as desktop applications, but they were very limited because they were programmed basically using the driver model. <laughs> so they could they could run at the same time as applications because they were technically drivers. Yeah, that's that's to be fair, that's not too different than what uh what happened with DOS where they had TSRs, terminate and stay resident apps. Right. Max did become progressively better with newer hardware, um, new chips from Motorola. And this sort of culminated in 1988 when Apple released System 6, which was the largest update to this point. And part of the reasons it was so big, I don't I don't recall if it was System 6 that added this or if it was like a version before, but it didn't get much market adoption. But it added a feature called MultiFinder, which was originally a extension for Mac that was developed by someone who had no relation to Apple, as far as I know. And then Apple acquired MultiFinder and built it into this. It was just like an extension that would run immediately when the system booted. And it allowed limited cooperative multitasking. So you could switch between apps, but there was no memory protection so it was really easy for apps to crash whenever they would access part of the ram that they weren't supposed to because a different app was using it it wasn't great Uh, system 6 also had a lot of other bugs the uh, 6.0 was released and it had some massive like text spacing bug that made it unusable on a lot of computers so apple quickly released 6.0.1 and this was around the time where some engineers in apple were wanting to revamp the mac os because it it had been designed for the original mac and the computers like it that just had so few system resources around this time a software engineering team formed inside of apple some of the people on the team were eric ringwald which sounds like someone from Harry Potter. (laughs) But he worked at a PC manufacturer before Apple, and then after this whole thing went down, he joined B Inc., which will come up later. And right now he's the chief enterprise architect at PayPal. So he's he's still very much in the industry. Some other people were Gene Pope, who helped develop the original Finder and MacWrite and MacPaint. And after all this went, all this happened, uh, he went to go work at Quark and then Amazon and also uh, David Goldsmith, Baze Holt, and a few others. I liked Gene Pope's LinkedIn profile. I checked what he was up to while I was researching this, and 
he describes working for Apple like this is his description of what he worked on. He said, quote, a group of five of us went to our boss and said Apple needed to develop a new clean sheet design operating system since the old one would not keep up with changing technologies. Surprisingly, he approved it and off we went. You got to love how in in corporations at that time, a, a lot of a lot of projects really were greenlit in that exact way you you literally went to a boss and said hey we want to do this thing and they would just say yeah okay don't cost too much (laughs) yeah yeah and like the the barrier for developing an operating system was lower like like i can't imagine just a, a even one of the higher engineers at microsoft going to the head of windows and saying hey i think we need a new windows yeah like (laughs) that's not gonna happen it really doesn't this team of engineers sort of went on a trip and they sorted the ideas they wanted to integrate into the mac platform supposedly the, the the story goes that they wrote ideas that could be implemented on the current mac os on blue cards blue index cards and then the ideas that would require more in-depth changes or just a new core entirely were written on pink cards. And then they also had a couple features that were just really out there, and they wrote them on red cards, supposedly because they were, quote, pinker than pink, quote. <laughs> so, like, on the on the blue cards that they could put into the current macOS, they had things like, col- like good color support, better multitasking, you know, you can't maybe couldn't go all the way but you could do something there and then on the pink cards it was stuff like preemptive multitasking new kernel that that kind of stuff and they set out to launch something in two years and the pink project started to focus on some concepts that were a little bit newer at the time like object-oriented programming and memory protection uh, internationalization better graphics those sorts of improvements and they started working on a new microkernel called opus which was designed for the same motorola 68k chips that apple was using in max at the time by 1989 which was the original intended ship date the pink project had sort of grown out of control they only had a partially functional beta that only had a few new things compared to what the mac os was already doing They had 100 engineers working on the project. This sort of pattern comes up time and time again with other projects at Apple and and the operating systems that would come after this, where there's just not any management going on. So the engineers are are sort of working on what they they want to work on. And there's no no one to say, okay, let's save that for for 2.0. Let's save that for next year, buddy. Uh, Apple Vice President Ed Bierce was placed in charge. And this is someone who had previously worked on the Apple II, the Mac Portable, and Apple Talk. So he was, you know, he had a good track record. And after Apple, he would eventually go on to work at Silicon Graphics and Solar Junction. But he was very protective of the Peak Project. And he very often would not let anyone else, including people inside of Apple, look at what they were working on. This led to another problem, which was the pink team 
was ended up duplicating many of the same features and technologies that other parts of Apple were working on. So like one of the things that the Mac, uh, the, the team working on the current Mac operating system was doing was a new graphics library called QuickDraw GX. And the paint team essentially just made their own version of that because they, no one was talking to each other. Mm -hmm. So not great. Uh, another example of this was around this time, Apple was considering working on a risk-based computer. And the project was called Jaguar. The head of that division, Hugh Martin, wanted to use this new operating system that the paint team was working on. But he was blocked from looking at it. And it was only when he went to the Apple CEO at the time, which was John Scully, and said, hey, I, I, can I please look at what these guys are doing? Then he was granted access. <laughs> at which, of course, he'd only, he would only be able to know to ask that once he actually knows the project exists, which a lot of times they wouldn't even know that much. The funny thing about this, too, is Microsoft used to do the same sort of thing, except... In Microsoft's case, they would very intentionally pit two different teams against each other. It was very much, all right, we're going to we're gonna send this team off to make a product or a library or uh, some, some core functionality. And then they would send a completely separate team to go do basically the same thing. They might frame it differently. They might tell them it's going to be used somewhere else. And depending on which team produced something that they liked, they would use that product and then the other team's work would usually it, it might get shelved it might get repurposed uh, they they might just be told you know what keep working on it you never know what might come out of this but yeah it, we're not actually going to use that thanks <laughs> all this is going on pink was actually demonstrated to ibm in april of 1991 because they wanted to maybe sell PCs with running it. And then in October, 1991, something big happens that changes the course of several companies and projects, including this. And it's when Apple uh, enters a partnership with IBM and Motorola to create what was called the aim Alliance. And the, the goal with this partnership was basically to combat the rise of Intel and Microsoft working together or, you know, Wintel mm -hmm. for short, because this was the time when windows was really starting to take off and windows, or at least the consumer version of windows only ran on Intel based systems or, or clones of Intel systems. These three companies joined up. The partnership has a lot of parts to it. One of the components of the agreement is that Motorola gets a permanent license to the Mac on Mac operating system. So, you know, during this time, Apple is selling the Mac OS to companies that want to make Mac clones. They're, you know, Macs that are being sold that aren't manufactured by Apple. Yeah, that was a short-lived project. Yeah, they, and there, there's some there's some funny business there that might even get an episode of its own because there was some wild stuff happening. Uh, especially when other companies were building better Macs than Apple. Yeah, yeah. There, <laughs> there were some famous examples of that. I, I know. I don't know too much about them individually, but Apple really, really got shown up by some of its uh, partner competitors. I guess would be the word. Yeah. 
Right. When Motorola could license the Mac OS, that was mostly for clones. So if I'm a company who wants to produce Macintosh clones, instead of going to Motorola or IBM for the motherboard and the CPU and other components, and then I got to go to also to Apple to get the OS, I can just go to Motorola and they can give me the motherboard, the CPU and the OS license. The, the main product of this alliance is a company called Taligent, which is spun off from the pink team inside of Apple. Taligent has three products that they start working on. The first one is the Taligent Application Environment, or TAE, or TALAE. It was spelled in a couple reports. This is the C++ environment for creating software that would run on the operating system. But it was separated in a way where the environment could be ported to Windows. It could be ported to Windows NT. Uh, it could run on the operating systems that IBM was working on at the time. They had some stuff that was mostly just used in corporate environments. So I, I guess a little bit like Java, maybe. The second product, which I don't know how this is separate. It was the Taligent Developer Environment, or TALDE, which was the tool set to make these modern applications. So it was like project database, debugger, uh, versioning well, control. It, a lot of times what you're going to find, and this is still true today, they build the tool chain very separately from the runtimes. Um, mm -hmm. And it, oh man, when you start digging into a lot of these different programming language the whole project involved in building new languages, and especially if they're deeply linked to the operating system, there, there are a ton of separate components. From the outside, you typically just hear about an IDE, the compiler, stuff like that. But once you start digging in and getting into the linkers, um, various, various components that even fit into the parser sometimes, it does get a lot more complicated. Uh, so it's not too yeah. surprising to see them sort of split all of this stuff out into different parts. That's true. The third component or the, the third product that Taligent is working on is the Taligent Object Services, which is the operating system part. So this is the successor to Pink when it was just a project in Apple. So I'm going to send you a news a snippet of a news article from InfoWorld that was published in January 1993 that you can read and then give me your thoughts on. Talgen Inc. is getting unexpectedly strong endorsements from software developers, although that support might be motivated by fear and uncertainty over Microsoft Corp's domination of the PC operating system market. Initial code for Talgen's pink operating system has received rave reviews from the select number of developers who have seen it, but early support seems to be based more on the desire for a strong competitor to Microsoft's DOS, Windows, and NT products, some third-party developers said. Other vendors who have seen Pink have been impressed but noted that Talgent was unable to give a clear idea of how it would, be, how it would add backwards compatibility with existing applications. Wow. <laughs> this, this quote stands out very... <laughs> It stands out for a couple of reasons. First, the select number of developers who've seen it. It's interesting because they're being secretive at a time when being secretive about this stuff wasn't that common. And I'm kind of wondering maybe why 
they were trying to be why they were trying to limit this also i was around for this but not not necessarily aware enough of it the narrative about basically fear of microsoft taking over it's it's interesting how much that is like the dominating message here yeah it it stands out so much because obviously you know as a competitor to microsoft apple is going to be thinking so much about uh, about that competition and what they can what they can bring that's going to attract both developers and users this this almost speaks in that way of saying hey here's the thing it's terrible uh we're offering something else some people think it's really good yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't have that no no seriously this is awesome sound to it it just has the there's there are people who like it we're sure of it right we swear and also this is still in that period where you can see microsoft is ramping up to control everything but it's not there quite yet yeah that's always the thought in my mind when i'm reading these old articles where it's like that's funny they're talking about this in like the abstract so intelligence generally off to a good start here and in early 1994 hp becomes intelligence third major investor after apple and ibm and the first testing release of the application environment so that's the layer that developers who make apps for goes out in june of 1994 and it is available only on ibm aix and IBM OS 2. So not really anything that normal people are using at the time. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, one developer working at American Express said, quote, we are almost overwhelmed by the complexity of it. I don't know if the typical corporate developer is going to be able to assimilate this into their shop. Quote. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that that sounds I know that this is going a little bit off topic, but it reminds me so much of what I heard a lot of developers saying about uh, a lot of game developers were talking about the PlayStation 3, their cell based processor. Yeah, everyone complained that the complexity of that thing was too much. Another complaint that showed up a couple times with the first testing release was high memory requirements because oh, no. yeah yeah which is really like it's not good now but it was really not good in 1994 when we didn't have eight gigabytes of ram a gigabyte would have been yeah. a huge ass yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah maybe starting to see the cracks a little bit here and then about a year later in may 1995 Taligent actually ends development on its own native operating system so the CEO of Taligent at the time said there wasn't really a need for it by that point because IBM and HP were building their own operating systems that the apps would run on. By this time, Apple had started a new operating system internally called Copland, which we'll get to in the next part of the series. So at this point, everyone was, was ha you know, they had their own implementation of this. So I guess they figured no, no one would use the, the reference platform, I guess. Right. It is a little, again, like this is, this was the original purpose of, of all this was to give Apple a new OS and now the OS is canceled. It's a case of definite start, start a project and then throw away the work. Though, to be fair, 
I just looked up screenshots of what Talgent looks like. It's funny how much it very obviously resembles early Mac OS. Yeah, that is, that is the the funny part about all of these operating systems going on inside of Apple at the time is that they all are shaped to look exactly like the Mac OS, even though they're coming from wildly different places. Actually, what's really kind of blowing my mind is at least a screenshot I, I stumbled across right here. It reminds me also a lot of early Android. Well, again, like a lot of this was pretty forward thinking. So forward thinking that no developers could make apps for it. Yeah. <laughs> and and meanwhile, those those same developers probably hadn't touched the Win32 API yet. July of 1995, so a couple months after that first testing release came out, Taligent released Common Point, which was the final name for the application environment. The runtime was priced at $1,500. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Converted for, converted for inflation, that's $2,600 in 2021. So imagine paying $2,000 for Java. It's, okay. So t one quick question and I think that's actually going to be followed by another. Was this the only runtime environment that would that would function? within a given operating system or like did you need to in theory i guess like buy the os and then what like get a runtime environment with it or separately or the the runtime how, how is this pricing model supposed to work the runtime ran on top of the operating system so you would right. need whatever os it, the machine came with and then you would install this like a program and then that would be the runtime so you you would still need the os but does the OS have its own runtime environment in addition to that? Like, right, yes, other... yes, it does. Okay, so so this really is completely the Java model, right? It's just it's, it's Java, it's but it just, costs a lot of charge. money. Yes, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, it gets worse. I I will ask this because I think this is the one explanation where it could make some sense. Was this intended? to be like for servers or for specialty installs I, or did I, they genuinely were they genuinely stupid enough to think that this would be for consumer os no i think at this point they had lost the battle to make this a consumer facing product at all it's really funny that this is supposed to be the cross-platform runtime of your dreams and it was only available on one os to start with but the only two operating systems this was ever ported to was IBM's own AIX and OS2. So the runtime was $1,500. The software development kit was priced at $5,900, which translates to $10,300 in 2021. But Taligent had not finished the developer environment component yet. So you also needed... The CSET++ <laughs> compiler, which was priced at $1,800 at the time. This was, it was, it was not good. This was a, this was not good. The runtime by itself needed around 18 megabytes of RAM. And Taligent recommended that the system itself have about 32 megs of RAM, which wasn't super common in 95. But at least technically accessible. That wasn't, that wasn't absurd. Yeah. It just wasn't standard this is their this is this is the 
first commercial product of this train of development that started in, I believe I said 1988, and it's ended in a application environment that uses a lot of RAM, it costs a lot of money, and is not available on any home PC operating systems. And no one had written software for most likely. Yeah. And and Apple still doesn't have an OS. <laughs> that's, that's what I keep coming back to. Like we've, we've gone off the rails entirely. And the thing we've gone off the rails to do isn't good either. Around this time, Telligent starts to fall apart as a company throughout 1995 and 1996. The CEO left to become vice president of Motorola. And also Apple and HP sold their holdings in the company which made Telligent just a IBM su- subsidiary, basically. About 200 of the company's 375 employees were laid off, and all that was left was the core engineering staff. And IBM sort of started to pick through what they could use from this you know, now-failed joint effort. They started to separate the common point application environment into a couple different technologies. Some of them actually ended up being widely used, they took some parts of it and, and built it into the visual age C++ environment for Windows. They took common points, robust uh, interna- internationalization and Unicode support, and integrated it into the Java development kit. And then in 1997, Telligent was completely merged into IBM. Yeah, when you when you say completely merged in, that that loosely equates to we stopped having anybody work on this and we stuck them all in other projects so that we, so we didn't have to fire them right so that's that's really the end of Telligent is it being merged into IBM and again at this point apple still did not have a replacement operating system <laughs> however during the like last half of this epic tale is when Apple was developing Copland, which we'll talk about in the next part of the series. And that also doesn't go anywhere, but it's it's closer to becoming what Apple wanted than this. It, it is actually an operating system. What really stands out, and I I think it's funny because this, this whole tale is basically kind of a good demonstration of why Apple is so obsessive about doing everything for itself or as much as possible for itself because you you don't want to get stuck relying on a company that obviously has stakes in this mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily have to bank everything because of their partnership. And such a big part of this was that Apple and IBM and Motorola were being backed into this corner, at least in the home computer field. Obviously, IBM had server market and Motorola was selling all kinds of hardware, not just computers. Mm-hmm. And they just felt so threatened that I, I think they probably made some poor decisions along the way that they wouldn't have made if they felt that Microsoft was going to... St- I mean, obviously, this whole endeavor was because Microsoft and Intel were becoming so powerful. But there's just, yeah. there's so many parts in this where... I, I would kind of think, like, why are you doing this? Like, especially from Apple's pers- perspective, like, it, it's it's kind of surprising to me that they would farm out something that was so integral to their future. Well, to me, there are two factors here. First off, Apple, especially at that time, but even today, Apple considers itself a hardware company. They 
they obviously value their software very, very heavily now, but they see themselves as a company that sells physical products more than software. So they're, they're at that time, they probably saw software as something that they'd rather somebody else do and they'll just put it on their hardware, which at that time they presented as basically the better thing. The other part of it, and I know that this may sound cynical, but the other part of it really comes down to we don't know how good the salespeople at Taligent were. Yeah. If if somebody was a slick talker, man, you you could really convince somebody to spend a ton of money and really front a lot of bills, and it doesn't necessarily get checked like you may not see how bad the situation is for months or even possibly years down the line until someone sits down and says okay we need to actually really look at this we need to see what you're putting out and at a certain point they're gonna be like oh this is what you're pointing out it like this this is what you've accomplished let let's have another conversation about this because you need to do better it's it's funny you were saying that maybe apple didn't want to put as much effort into the software or or really be a software company first i was going to say but they they were sort of doing that but the more i think about it they were really (laughs) they had like both strategies going on like they wanted to be software first and then also they wanted to be hardware first and they weren't doing either one well like that like this this part was definitely hardware first right they wanted to make the max they mm-hmm. wanted most of the software package to be built by Taligent. but also at the same time they were doing other strategies where they would have been a software first company like the whole idea of mac clones puts the the priority mm-hmm. at apple on the operating system and there were other initiatives going on inside of apple that would have move the mac operating system to to different hardware entirely there wouldn't have been separate macs yeah Yeah, there's there was just so many different product managers conflicting with each other at apple during this time that it's amazing to me they shipped anything and kind of having both the let's focus on hardware and then let's focus on software let's focus on building this clone market let's focus on not having a clone market these these kinds of changes really occurred largely because every person that came through had these wildly different ideologies and that that comes up more in the next part of this where we look at copland and what different managers inside of apple wanted to do Mm -hmm. and yeah it's there's there's so much more fun to come oh i i believe it (laughs) 